Hello, and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. This is your host, Rachel Jamison. I have with me today someone from the Homestead Front Porch Group, and that's where we met, Jonah Curtis. Welcome, Jonah. Hi, thank you for having me. So I wanted to interview you because I see all your posts in the group, and it just looks like you're doing some really cool things there. Um, can you tell me like how, how much acreage you have and what kind of things you're doing there and what animals and I don't know what else you're doing there? Okay. Um, so we've got just a little under eight acres and we have m- multiple gardens of, you know, a couple different types. Um, and then we're doing, uh, I've started recently. I mean, we have fruit trees um, and brambles and berry bushes. And then we're adding some tree guilds. Um, our fruit trees have been pretty traditional so far. We did get a ton of peaches this year, but um, we're adding some tree guilds. And we've got a couple of ponds, so we have fish in there. And then we raise uh, Nigerian dwarf dairy goats. We have egg-laying chickens, and then we raise meat chickens. Uh, turkeys for meat. Um we don't breed pigs anymore, but we buy feeder pigs every year and raise a few for meat. And then we raise um, rabbits for meat and fur. So that's, and uh, um, honeybees also, we have, uh, we have honeybees. And there are probably other things I'm forgetting that we'll remember as, I'll remember as we go, right. oh, mushrooms. We're growing, uh, okay. we've been growing mushrooms the last couple of years too. Oh, wow. You are doing, wow. You're, you have that um, acreage really packed then. That's really cool. Yeah, a lot of it, you know, we've tried to be as like symbiotic with things as possible and use things where they want to be. Like I've tried to grow mushrooms in a couple of different spots and they weren't happy. So the spot where they do want to be is wet and full of poison ivy, but they're really happy there. Uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't really get it. So um, it doesn't really bother me, but it keeps the, it seems to keep the deer away, even though they oh, eat well, some poison ivy, good. but yeah. Um, but yeah, we kind of have everything it it wasn't as planned out as you know if i were to if you were to tell me okay you're going to live here for the rest of your life build this thing as efficiently as possible it's probably not exactly how we do it right. but we're we're really trying to work with things that were already kind of there and the way the land is and make things as as smooth as as possible okay yeah is your property um so you said you have ponds is your property hilly or flat or wooded it it was very wooded. We had a we bought a sawmill. Um, so on my property, it's it's not just my wife and children and and me. Um, my mother and father in law uh, live here also. So it's it's our property together, and we're we work together. And I I really I mean not that we don't ever uh, have problems or butt heads or anything, but it really it really works out well to have you know, energy, wisdom, experience, and all those things kind of mixed together. Uh, I really, I really like that lifestyle. But um, that being said, so there was some stuff here when I first moved here, boy, 17 years ago now. But um, we had, we bought a little sawmill. And so we we took some trees out and there were already ponds here. Um, It's, we're near a river, but things kind of slope down our house is kind of toward the road and things kind of slope down. And so it's a mix of, of wooded um, and some, some wet areas. And then, you know, the gardens and blackberries and raspberries and all that stuff is in the open. Your property sounds a lot like our property. That's why I asked. Cause yeah, we have ponds and brambles and we have nat they're there naturally, but we don't have any fish in ours. So did you plant it's, the fish? Um, Yes. Yep. Some of them. There were some in there when I got here, um, but just ma- mainly bullhead. And so we've planted some other stuff in there. And then there was a big flood a few years ago and some fish kind of came up from the river into it. Um, it, it wasn't a, a, flood, a flood enough to damage anything, but it, I mean, it was just a basically a super, super wet spring, but some fish kind of ran up into the, into our ponds from there. But yeah, we planted quite a few. Okay. That's cool. And you, you it's pretty self-sustaining now. Oh yeah. It's definitely, we, we eat, okay. you know, quite a lot of, quite a lot of fish out of there now. It's pretty self-sustaining. In fact, at, at this point we have to ke- kind of keep up on fishing it or, or you can have, you know, you can get, they can get stunted. There can be problems there. 
Yeah. Is your pond really big? Do you have any idea? No, no. So we have, well, we have three. Um, one is pretty small. It's, um, I couldn't even tell you. It's probably 25 feet across is all like basically a 25 by 30 foot. Okay. And then the other one is probably oh, a little over twice that size. They're all spring fed. And so they're, they're, and the middle ones are swimming pond. Um, it's kind of like a figure eight shape. And then the bigger one is probably, oh, I don't know, 40 or so feet across by maybe a little over 100 feet long. It's not that big. None of them are that big, but they're fairly deep, you know, 12 feet deep in the middle or so. And oh, that's they're, good. yeah, ours, um, we have several, but only two of them really stay all year throughout the summer. Okay. I, the one in the back might be spring fed, but I think the other one is more just drainage fed. Gotcha. So we'll see. And it's not that deep. So I don't know. We've, when we had, um, Nicholas Ferguson up at our property, he suggested a place for us to put one. So we still have to investigate this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's worth, I mean, I love having them. I mean, they're fun for swimming. They're fun for fish. Um, yeah. I have a garden right next to one of them. And so when it's dry, I, I did have a solar uh, water system there, but it was, it was always getting plugged up. It was always a problem. So I bought a uh, trash pump or a semi trash pump. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I can move 150 gallons of water. I do, or 150 gallons a minute. I do want to build a water tower on the other side of it with some of those IBC totes. Oh, okay. Um, or an, or like a septic tank kind of a thing. And then fill that with my trash pump and then have a passive drain system um, into my garden rather than blasting water all over them. Yeah, but that, that, I need um, time to build a water tower. With ponds and stuff, there's so much gunk. Those pumps just get all icked up pretty quick. That's what happened to us. It happens here at our house, and then it's happened to us out there when we've tried to water from them. There's just so much sediment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I have I have a filter, and I have the filter attached to a buoy, so it's floating like halfway, you know, neutrally buoyant, halfway between. But it's still like you can tell when there's stuff on the outside of that because the pressure decreases. And a pump that runs dry is not going to be a pump very long. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you got to balance that. Yeah. It's happened to us so many times. We kind of gave up on, um, we just, we don't have any, we have the huge sprinkler heads. Otherwise they gunk up and yeah. But so you guys also have, um, I was looking at one of your posts and I thought this might be an interesting topic. So you have something called the Mastodon Garden. Explain yeah, that's the one by that pond. Why explain why you call it that? So uh when we were having that dug, um but when was that? Oh, it must have been eight or nine years ago, 2015, maybe something like that. Um the excavator, I wasn't home and I got home from work. I was backing into the driveway and I saw my father-in-law like covered in mud and looking like a madman. And he had some giant stuff in a wheelbarrow. And I'm like, what on earth is he up to? And it was October because I was going to go hunting. And he made a crack about, oh, you're going to go hunting today? Going to get a big buck? We found a mastodon today. And I'm like, what? And we go down there and there were, I'll, I'll share some pictures with you, but there were, uh, there was a chunk of tusk. There were a bunch of ribs. There was half of a pelvis. Oh um, and a bunch of other bones. And then, yeah, from basically just a huge mess. We had, it was on the news, like on MLive and some stuff. Um, yeah, it was, so my father-in-law and the excavator are, are good friends and they were, they were the ones that found it. I just got to see it afterwards. Um, but it was, it was very cool. And I was so excited to show my wife. And then she was like, uh, <laughs> like dawdling. She got home and I'm like, Hey, you gotta go see, you gotta go see this. And she's like, come on, I just want to change. I'm like, no, no, you know? Um, but yeah, so it was, it was pretty exciting. What and we hit like a, what's go ahead. What ended up happening to it? Um, so we still have, it basically got kind of shared around. So there was, a, I guess quite a few mastodons actually get found in Michigan. Oh, um, okay. yeah, I didn't really realize that either, but 
the a paleontologist from U of M came over and like looked at it and told us the gist of it, that it was like 12,000 years old and it was a male. And well, and he, he was pointing out on there um, all these marks that he said were from, you know, he, he's pretty confident that this was killed and consumed by humans and that this whole area was a swamp at the time. And they probably, um, uh, like stored chunks of meat in chunks of hide and like buried it in the cold part of the swamp to kind of preserve it while they camped here for a long time and then consumed it. Um, which makes me feel like a total wuss of ever. I'm like kind of having a bad day or whining about something like, well, I didn't have to kill a mastodon with a spear, you know, today. So my day is not so tough. Um, yeah, yep. Yeah. So it's, it's right next to it. And yeah, that's just, I, we just kind of like, we have Mastodon Pond, Mastodon Garden, and then uh, where one of my, our fruit tree guilds is Mastodon Hill, because it's where a lot of the soil got dumped before we started, you know, they started finding bones sticking out of the bucket. That is so fun, though. What a fun story to be able to pass down. It, it was a pretty fun day. Yeah, it was a pretty fun day. That is pretty fun. So you guys also, I was noticing that you have... um I mean, you just kind of do everything. I'm kind of having a hard time deciding what to ask you next, but um, you do. Oh, I know that's something that's interesting. You guys do rabbits for fur. Yep. Um, so growing up, my grandpa was a taxidermist. Well, like his, you know, hobby was taxidermy. And so I've always had an interest in it. And we were, uh, when I was a kid too, if we killed anything, you know, if we hunted anything, we had to utilize all of it. So like I have eaten when I was real little uh, with a, pellet gun i've eaten chipmunks and tan chipmunks chipmunk hides i've eaten many 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 pine squirrels red squirrels and tan their hides and so with the rabbit hides i've tan them we haven't done as much with them as i want like we've used some of them for um i've got some knives up here that my grandpa made and we have some um like rabbits in the boxes and the display boxes and things like that uh but now with the having the kids i want to make some uh, little rabbit quilts for them, you know, for in the winter. That would be so warm and soft. Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of working on some of that. I mean, sometimes I don't always save them. If I don't have time or I don't have freezer space to store them before I tan them, I have no problem with composting them. But if I can, I like to, I like to tan them. So I should have actually probably asked you this before, but um, did you grow up homesteading and did you decide is that what made you decide to do this? How did you get into homesteading? Uh, yeah, I came by it very honestly. So I grew up um, in like northern central Michigan. And kind of the same situation I have here. I grew up uh, next door to my grandparents around the same property, same driveway, two houses. And we had 40 acres. And then we were right next to a huge section of state land. Um, so pretty much I had miles and miles of backyard. But we didn't have, you know, we, you know, poor, poor is relative. We were fine. Yeah. But there were, there were certainly leaner times and like raising venison. We raised rabbits for a while. Um, we had chickens, you know, and, 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 and we fished, you know, so hunting and then homesteading. And then we had tons of gardens. They really weren't, it wasn't a hobby. It was like, we needed to do this. Right. Um, and. I, I did appreciate it at the time. I always loved gardening. I love being out there. Like my grandpa was big, big time into it. And I love being out there with him. Some of my best memories of that and then hunting with him. And so I've kind of always loved it. And then, you know, I'm sure in uh, high school, I probably wasn't the most useful because I had friends and jobs and sports and stuff. So, uh, and then, and then went away to college, but in the summer I would come home and still, still help. Uh, but then, you know, I just, I kind of saw how things were and, and my background, so my degree is in nutrition. Um, so working with people and seeing um, how everything you put in your body and everything you consume, not just with your body, but with your mind too, how it affects your body yeah. uh, and affects your mind. Um, there, there was a way I wanted to be and there was a way I didn't. And We've, you know, since my, my wife and I met and, you know, got married and have been here, I've been 
you know, increasingly into it. And then, you know, so we were a, a little backstory. We were married for um, uh, 10 years and didn't think we could have children. We didn't know why everything seemed to be fine, but we didn't think we could have children. And we, we wanted children. And then in 2020, um, I think it was because I shaved my head for so long. And then I, I quit shaving my head and grew my hair out instantly. She got pregnant. Um, so we had, uh, uh, or maybe we just quit worrying about it. Who knows? Cause we were kind of, you know, thinking, okay, we're not gonna have kids. What are we going to do with the second act of our lives, um, of our marriage and kind of figure things out. And then, you know, uh, she told me she was pregnant. And so our son was born in, uh, in fall of 2020. And then about, uh, six months later or whatever it was, she told me again. And so with children, it just adds so much more to it. Like, you know, we, we give a lot of food, you know, we, we share food with our in-law or with her, with her folks. And then with my family too, and, and quite a few other people, but now with children, it just adds so much more value to why I'm doing these things and the way we, we want them to grow up. You know, our, our lifestyle is, I should say non-traditional, but it's really actually kind of traditional that, yeah. You know, we we work, but we have our children with us at home and we do a lot of stuff outside together with them and um, make sure that they know where the food comes from. And that that has added so much value to me when I'm outside with, you know, when we're outside with the kids, they will go through and have, you know, like just this week, they've eaten uh, kale, Swiss chard, grapes, cherry tomatoes, blueberries, carrots, onions. And I'm sure. Uh, oh, and. Uh, a summer squash. My daughter is apparently half woodchuck because she'll like eat a whole summer squash in the garden. And that's all stuff that they just had outside with us in the garden, like not even stuff in the house. That's just eating as they're wandering around through the gardens. Yeah. You know, and you can't, I just can't put a price on that for me. It's worth all the work. No, you can't. My kids were raised like that too. And um, it is. And I think when kids are involved in it, they're more likely to eat that healthy food because they see it growing and they're more likely to try new things than saying, oh, I don't like that. But if they helped grow it, definitely, they're willing to try it. Of course, your kids are going to grow up not even knowing the difference anyways, because they're pretty little. Um, so they won't even know the difference. They'll just have always ate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did. Um, I worked for a hospital for, for quite a few years and I, part of my, well, one of like my pet project there was I built a community garden. And so I taught like senior gardening classes for a couple of years, but then I taught, I think for 10 or 10 or 12 years, I taught kids gardening classes. Um, Most of them were like five, six and seven year olds. And it was, it was kind of like a joke that people would bring me their picky eaters, you know? Kids are only like hot dogs and chicken nuggets, but then they're out there and they're eating radishes and they're eating kale, like stuff that a lot of people don't always love, but they right. grew it. So they had that, that sense of ownership and that sense of pride and just that connection to it. And, and, and I'm a believer too. I think, I mean, it's nice for the veggies and all those things, like you're more connected, but I think you owe it to the food you eat to occasionally see that your food dies. Um, it's a little dark to think of sometimes, but you know, you, it's not like everyone should slaughter all their own animals and everything. But I think people forget that something died for your dinner. And I, you know, we can kind of di- get disconnected from that. And even with vegetables, I mean, I, I feed a lot of chipmunks to my chickens every summer because they're in my gardens. And so no matter what you're eating, something died for your dinner. And I think it's easy to disconnect from that and remove yourself from, from life, you know, and, and people forget, forget that part of it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I agree. We have been, we've hunted and fished our entire marriage. And then I started helping friends and learning how to butcher and stuff like that. And, um, people have a hard time understanding. They're like, you do that just for fun. And I'm like, well, not, I mean, not really for fun. It's not fun. I don't dread it, but I certainly don't enjoy taking a life, but it's part of, I'm, I'm a meat eater. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's responsible for me to take part in that, to understand what I'm doing and not be, and it, not be removed from the process of where my food comes from. Yeah, exactly. 
we had um, my wife's aunt um, stayed with us for, uh, I don't know, it was a week or so ago. And she stayed with us for almost two weeks. Um, and she's a city girl for sure. And then now lives on the East Coast and just the sweetest, sweetest gal and was loving being around, loving being around with the kids. But we had our meat chickens. We had, so we have a little chicken tractor and it was it was getting to be time. And I usually just kind of get up early and get started. And then, you know, now with the kids, my, my wife's main job is to wrangle them. You know, they'll kind of help, but it's it's not really very efficient. Um, and then but my my in-laws will, will help. But I kind of didn't want to bother them either because they, you know, she was staying with them more than us. Right. And they saw what I was doing, though. And and she this gal wanted to come out and help. And she brought up a chair, rolled up her sleeves and was was getting after it. And then we had chicken dinner that she wanted to eat a chicken that she butchered um, that she helped butcher. So we had chicken for supper that night. And it was it was pretty cool to see it. Kinda, it made me pretty happy. That is, that is really awesome. See, I wasn't, you might know this if you listen to the podcast, but I wasn't raised like this either. And, but my husband was, and, um, so he's had a big influence on me, but I, I love the life now, but it's certainly not how I was raised. And it is a, it's definitely a different coming from the city or town. And so I'm, that's amazing that she decided to do that. That's huge. Yeah, she was a real sport about it. I mean, she was all in. She was fully committed. She wasn't done until we were done, and they were all in the cooler and wrapped up. Um, yeah, my my wife didn't really grow up. She grew up on this property out in the country, um, but it was a little bit a little bit different than you know my my take on homesteading. It's I'm probably a little more extreme than what what they grew up, but uh, she fully. I mean, she loves having uh having the food and being out there together as a family you know that's our big thing is we do we don't we don't split up very often we do a lot of things together as a family yeah um and and she loves seeing how our children enjoy you know quality food like they got up from their nap today and we're scarfing wild blackberries that i picked yesterday well you know thrive so much there i feel like anyways their health is going to be so much better because they're just eating that food at its peak of ripeness and nutrition because there there is no truck between their food <laughs> and where it's coming from they're like getting it the second it comes off the vine yep well not only that like our the structure of our bodies are made to be used so if we don't if all we eat are soft processed foods our you know our, our facial facial muscle muscles are underdeveloped and then it can it can even affect bone structure. It can really mess with things. Um, it can affect it can affect your teeth. You know, we're we're made to be chewing actual, you know, meat and vegetables and fruits, not just uh, purees and processed mush. You know, yeah. it it makes it makes a difference to eat. We we evolved for, you know, whatever whatever belief system you have, but we evolved for a very very long time to eating these things, nuts and berries and fruits and vegetables and meats. And then in the last 70 years or so, we're like, ah, forget all that. We'll just have uh, Velveeta and uh, Slurpees and we'll totally be fine. Never chewing or eating actual food again. Boneless meat. (laughs) Yeah. And just, and mush. And our, there's, it would take a thousand years of eating that stuff before our body bodies would evolve to, you know, to work through that and we're not there. And that's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, likely a lot of diseases and, and, and physiological issues we have, and even possibly psychological issues we have that are based on just eating foods that our bodies just aren't prepared for. Yeah. Or even food. That's not really food. It's just chemicals. (laughs) Yeah. Food, like food, like substances. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So you guys have dairy goats. Do you, do you use that dairy like just for food or do you use it for other things? Um, so the kids don't drink it yet. Okay. Uh, cause I don't pasteurize, so it's filtered, but it's raw. And I, I'm sure they could, but I've kind of taken it easy on that. Yeah. Um, not that we've ever had any issue 
but I, I think I'm just kind of pacing that. They do eat, we make a lot of yogurt with it and they'll eat that, you okay. know, but that has been heated. So it's essentially been pasteurized. Um, and then I'll make uh, a couple different cheeses, mostly mozzarella, just like the 30 minute mozzarella cheese with it. Um, and then other than that, we'll, we've made soap in the past using it, but not in a while. Although we've been talking about it again, because we have a bunch of lard in the freezer from our pigs last year. Uh, so we're thinking about making some soap again, oh, that's but I, I drink the milk every day. Oh, it is. It is. It's such, it's, it's kind of a pain to make and it's very much a pain to be patient for it to actually cure. I have not historically been very good at that. <laughs> I'm like, I want to use it. Yeah. But it, is, it feels so good on your skin. And then when you yeah. add, uh, I haven't tried it with goat's milk, but I have used milk. So I've made mm-hmm. a milk, lard and tallow soap, and it's pretty amazing. Yeah, we did it. We haven't done it with the Nigerians. So we switched to Nigerians um, two years ago. Okay. Yeah, two years ago. Uh, before that, we had uh, La Manchas and a couple other a couple other breeds, but mostly La Manchas. Um, but they're really the. The issue was, um, and this has kind of been an overarching uh, homesteading theme, I think, for a lot of folks, but we had too much milk. Uh, yeah. Didn't ha- didn't have time to uh, put it all up. Some was being spoiled. I mean, we'd feed it to the pigs and we'd feed it to the, the chickens, um, but it was being spoiled and it was taking up a ton of fridge space. So we switched to Nigerians who have a higher milk fat content. So my gosh, is it good in my coffee every morning? Um, and it's just a lower yield and, and, you know, we've been, I think most homesteaders and I I talked to a lot of like people who are kind of newer at it and you're so excited. And so then you just reach and grab everything and you want to do it all and have all the animals and all the stuff. And then what in the heck do you do with it all? And so we're kind of in that phase now where we've been doing this a long time and it's trying to, um, find exactly what we're going to use and be efficient with and not waste because it's pretty frustrating to spend a bunch of time doing something and money on something and then time and or not time, not money, but time harvesting it and then having it just go bad. It's, it's a little silly to waste your time and on both ends of it. And, you know, now we have the chaos factor of a couple of kids who they're, you know, so there's, um, there's some X factors in there that are going to change as they get older on, you know, how much time they can help or how much time we need to spend with them doing other things and then how much they'll consume. But yeah, that's kind of where we're landing on a lot of our homestead stuff now is we know about how much we're going to eat and use and how much time and it's trying to find the balance of maybe reining things in a little bit. Cause you know, we bred pigs for a couple of years. I, I don't care for it. It just wasn't something that we wanted to use our time with. So now we buy feeders. Um, you know, we're kind of in, in, in that area of homesteading of finding, okay, what exactly are we going to do? That's cool. I think everybody has to figure out what works for them and their family because every homestead isn't going to look the same. And that's cool that you've changed your mind on a few things. And I, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's tough sometimes. Um, like when we were done breeding the pigs, the, you know, we had to actually cut out some infrastructure. Um, you know, we had pens set up for, for breeding and for, uh, you know, to have the, have everybody separated. And so when we were cutting it out, there was a little bit of that feeling like, oh, you know, this is a failure, but it's, it's just not a failure. If it's something that you're not, it's not your passion, you know? Um, I love having the rabbits and we kind of dipped our toe in initially and like, okay, how is this going to work? Do we really want them? Are they, will there be enough meat production to make it worth it? Can we feed them enough from here without having to buy? I mean, we still have to buy some feed, but, and, and we liked it. So then we built a different iteration of the cages, um, out of just kind of what we had and it was cheap. Um, we had a lot of scrap wood and scrap stuff laying around, but then it, it just wasn't quite right. So then this year we built a whole new setup. And, you know, it's, it's finding what works for you and the right way to do it and kind of to make it easy on everybody where no one, you don't want to resent a, a task. Yeah, that I think is huge is um, 
if you start to resent something, then something needs to change, or maybe you just need to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, I mean, you, you keep mentioning the kids and I don't know if we mentioned, I think we talked about this before we started the podcast, but your kids are pretty little. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like toddlers. Toddlers. Yeah. 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 So they're, they're pretty little. So you're, you're very busy with toddlers and on all these animals. Um, You mentioned that you have lots of extra food. And I remember seeing a post about you guys freeze drying. Yes. Um, is there a reason you yeah. decided to get that, um, a freeze dryer and, um, what do you guys use that for? So I've actually wanted one, you know, I've seen them in mother earth news for like a decade and wanted right. one and for, for a number of reasons. Um, I, I, so I used to go backpacking a lot. I'd spend a lot of my time in the mountains and in the woods hiking, and I still go out West and hunt. And, and or go camping and I'll have backpacking freeze-dried meals. And so I kind of wanted to make my own because I don't always love them. And, and, you know, when I first, and this is showing my age, when I first started, freeze-dried meals were pretty cheap. They're like 15 or $20 a piece now. They're it's crazy expensive. expensive. It's crazy. Go to a restaurant. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, I kind of wanted for that, but that all might be just mostly an excuse that I just kind of wanted one. I think they're cool. Um, and... So I've wanted one for a long time. And then we we have a, a number of chest freezers. And a couple of years ago, uh, I was out west on a hunting trip and called home to talk to my wife. I think I'd gotten, I can't remember if I'd got anything, what it was. I, I don't remember exactly. Um, maybe I was calling a check-in. But she had gone into the shop and realized there was a chest freezer in there that she didn't know existed. And she wasn't mad, but she was like kind of goofing with me. I'm like, hey, you know, out of all the secrets I could possibly have, the fact that I have an extra freezer full of zucchini and black raspberries is not that big of a deal. You know, that's the worst secret I have. And uh, so we have we have a number of freezers. And she told me that if I get another one, you know, I might end up living in one. So um, <laughs> she's a very sweet woman, but I she might harm me. Um, but uh, the so the freeze dryer was kind of just to start preserving things really long-term. And, you know, at that point we were starting to get more mushrooms and it's a really good way to preserve mushrooms. Yeah. So we, we've done, and we've done a lot of snacks for the kids too. So we got it. Um, it's only been a little over a year. So we'll do uh, freeze-dried apples, pears, peaches, um, strawberries, and uh, blackberries, black raspberries, all kinds of stuff like that for the, for snacks for the kids. Um, for, especially for like, if we're traveling. Yeah. And then um, yogurt and then uh, eggs, scrambled eggs. So we. I wondered if you did any of the milk. So you do the yogurt. I'll do the yogurt. I've done the milk too. Um, and I'll just stir it in my coffee and it's fine. But I haven't, I haven't totally reconstituted it like to drink it as milk, but I'll just stir it into my coffee. Um, the eggs work really well. Freeze dried eggs, yeah. scrambled eggs. And then uh, we've done a few meals, lots of, uh, lots of, zucchini just chunks of zucchini or shredded zucchini to put into soups um kale and swiss chard beets stuff like that that i'm going to mix into soups or stir fries i mean none of it is well some of it comes out really good when you reconstitute it some of it is fine um but there's a lot of nutrition in there too well that's the thing i mean i i do a lot of canning and stuff but i know that freeze drying is definitely i mean as far as nutrition freeze drying is the best way to preserve food because it retains most of the nutrition. Yeah. Yep. It works really well for that. Um, the freeze dried pear slices are the single best snack I've ever eaten. They are absolutely fantastic. It's funny because I was just talking about in the last podcast, how the dried pears were his favorite and you're saying the freeze dried. They're, oh, they're on the right candy. They're unbelievable. My wife likes the freeze dried watermelon more. The kids don't care. They're down for all of it. Um, You know, they they really, I think they probably like the freeze-dried blackberries or black raspberries the best. Do they cost a lot to run, like electricity-wise? Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's, it it can vary a little bit, but it's, I mean, it's not a crazy amount. Um, So, like, we have a kiln. You can really watch when we're doing pottery. You can watch your little thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
I mean, that thing gets crazy. What do you make with the kiln? uh, My wife's a potter. So she's an artist and does pottery. Um, And then we have like some power tools that are, you know, like a table saw and a planer that are use a lot of power. Oh, yeah. Um, So compared to those, uh, the the freeze dryer is not that bad. I think um, when I first looked, I, I can't remember exactly, but basically for like a 24 hour cycle, it's a couple of dollars. Oh, that's not terrible. Not as bad as I was no, no, it's not like it's twenty dollars to run or anything like that. And no, it's not. And, then you, and that's like, how many trays does yours have? So ours is a medium, and I guess their new mediums now have five trays. Ours has four. Okay. Um, but it's you know, and a cycle can run. It depends on what you're doing. You know, the moisture content, but it can go anywhere from. You know, 24 hours is probably the, sh- it can go a little shorter than that sometimes, but sometimes it can take almost, you know, 36 hours or, or even more oh, depending on what probably, you have in there. Yeah. I would guess like pears and watermelon probably take longer. It, they're not as bad. The, the things that have taken the longest for me are things that have um, different densities in there. Like I've, I've done soup, um, oh. leftover soup that seems to take forever. Cause the meat takes a long time. If the, the like the pears aren't bad if you put them in and they're almost dry you check on them and then i'll flip them and put them back in for another dry cycle and then they're they're done pretty fast okay okay but the the meats can take a long time i just did um i had some elderberry uh juice that was from last year in the freezer and so i freeze dried that so i can have like a oh like a powder to mix in for for this winter for kind of immune support yeah and that took that took a little a little while i probably added more liquid in there than i should have i should have had it spread out a little thinner in the trays but it worked out pretty well now do you guys just store those in vacuum bags or do you use like mylar the mylar bags with the zips or it depends on how long before planning on using it so i'll do some just in mason jars um That's true. And then I'll do some just vacuum sealer bags and I'll use uh, the air, um, the little air packs in all of them, the, uh, yeah. like a, like a desiccate moisture absorbers, yeah. moisture absorbers. Yeah. Or oxygen absorbers or whatever. Yeah. And then for long-term stuff, I'll do the Mylar bags. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, I, I haven't yet gotten the bug, but sometimes I think maybe it would be a good idea. <laughs> It's it's pretty cool and it's it's so shelf stable and it's so much. I mean, I do a lot of canning too, yeah. but we've kind of run out of real estate for any more jars too. And my wife also won't let me add any more pantries. No more pantries. She's like, we got a new. One. I hear you. Um, I probably have. I probably have two thousand jars. I'm out oh, of space. that's I'm a lot. Out of space. Yeah. Well, when all the yeah. kids were home, once your kids get older, they eat more. <laughs> when all the kids were home, and then. And yeah, I don't have any other way to store it. So it's everything from meat to vegetables to fruit. And we only had one freezer at the time. So yeah, that's what you did. Yeah. And we do, we do a lot of canning. I I kind of enjoy canning. Like I've got some stuff I want to can tomorrow. Um, But the freeze drying is, it's nice because that stuff is so shelf stable. You can, and when it's, when it's in the jars, it's still a jar that you have to put somewhere. But when it's in the the mylar bags or the vacuum sealer bags, you you can put it anywhere. You can put it in your sock drawer. It'll last forever. You know, it's like you don't have to yeah. think about it. It's so light. You don't have to worry about breaking the jar. Um, right. The seal. Yeah. There's a lot. I see a lot of pros to it. Now, speaking of canning, I've also seen pictures of your canning kitchen. Oh, yeah. That's something I have big plans for in the future. <laughs> That's that's uh, one of my favorite places to be. Yeah, that is it, great. I love it. It, it it's nothing special, really. Um, it was mostly like we'd been we'd wanted one for a while, so we'd been. I did a little demolition job where I tore down uh, something for a guy, so I kept some of the wood from that, and then did a couple other things kind of similar, and we just kind of held on to some materials. Right. Um. We we do some shopping at the scrapyard sometimes, and like, you know, we've we've bought a couple lawnmowers there and like brought them home and fixed them and ran them and yep, <laughs> you know, um. But there was the the sink that's in my outdoor kitchen was from a milk parlor, 
So it's a big stainless steel. It's got two basins and then a, a like a flat countertop section. Oh, that's cool. And then most of the other stuff was just, we, we bought the hardware cloth for it. Um, but a lot of the other stuff was just cheap or free or salvage materials. And then um, just propane, propane burners out there. And I still, I don't mind canning in the house, but now with the kids, um, it's not, not the canning's really dangerous, but they're running around and there's hot things on the stove all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're too, take your pick, either too cheap or too poor for air conditioning. So I don't want to heat the house up all summer long. So the outdoor kitchen is perfect for that. And I can kind of come in and out. And so we have three propane burners out there. um, That's actually like a camp chef stove that I can can on. Um, I can on all three of them if if I want to at the same time. And then I have uh, an old cast iron stovetop that was my grandparents that they used to take up into the mountains with them when they were hunting. Like they'd go out West. My grandpa would get a mule deer and my grandmother would can the whole dang mule deer at camp. Like at, well, he's up at spike camp. Uh, She, at like their base camp, she'd can the darn thing at, at their camp there and bring, they'd just come home with like 40 jars for a mule deer. And then he'd go get whatever else. Um, So I, Oh, uh, there's, I've got pictures. My, my grandparents were, were, were wild. They did, they were serious about stuff like that. Um, cool. but so I have that cast iron stove and that one you can definitely can on it, but I prefer it for simmering because the camp chef stove I have gets way too hot. I have some plates on there to kind of keep things. Yeah. Um, but the other one's great for simmering. Like I'm going to make some, uh, uh, blackberry jam out there and, well, I actually might not be able to make it out there tomorrow because my garlic is hanging right above that. And there's, so there might be some dirt in the jam if I do it on that side. So I might have to make the jam in the house and take it out the can. Um, yeah, but I then I, I, that I, I like that idea a lot. Oh, the outdoor kitchen is so worth it. Uh, keep, yeah, it keeps the house cool. And it's just, it's just a nice space. I can store all my jars out there when they're not in use and just kind of keep everything in the house tidy. It has a roof. What's that? It has oh yeah, yep. Roof. It's a steel roof. Yep. That's cool. um, yep. And it's it's just a little it's just a little shack, but it's uh it it works out really well. It's just off the house. Um, and we have there's no running water, but I have um a uh, an RV hose, so it's you know clean water, and it's coming from our Safe. our hose bib, and it it goes right to it, so it's pretty easy to hook up and and be off and running. That's awesome. I'm envious of that. I, we have air conditioning, but still, I don't want to, I hate heating up the house, Oh yeah. but then I can cool it back down. It just doesn't really make sense. So I can on our porch, but it's certainly not a canning kitchen. So I do everything inside and then I take the canner out to the porch to can and it's pretty hot and there's no, there's no roof over it or anything, but. Oh, the roof, the roof is nice. Well, and I can do it in the rain. Um, but the yeah and the other thing like when i was canning in the house i like to cook too so uh having one pot going to sterilize jars and then a canner going or if i have two canners going that stove is out of commission you know there's really not room to do much else on there exactly yeah and i like having the mess part of the mess at least outside and um yeah i've yeah, and I I just like being outside anyways. I could live outside without the four walls around me all the time. I just love to be outside. So that's one of the things I don't like about canning is it drags me inside. So the idea of having an outdoor canning kitchen, it's like, oh, I can just be outside in nature and still be canning. Yep. And I've had some of my best naps in like a camp chair, you know, one of those like folding oh, yeah. chairs out there. I've had I've had some top notch naps out there. Note to self, hammock uh-huh. hammock out there. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good idea. That would be amazing. Get one of those hammocks out there. Um so you guys have what what kind of fruit trees do you have? Obviously you have a peach tree. You talked about that. Do you and you probably have pears too? Um yep, so we've got peach, apple, pear. Uh we just planted some pawpaw. Oh nice. 
Yeah, we'll see. They don't look, they just don't, oh man, those things just look like sticks still. Um, we've got some persimmon. We've got plums. Well, a lot of them start with P. Uh, I think that's it. Apples? Yeah, yeah, we have apples. Yep. Um, nice. And we planted quite a few more apple trees this year and then a few more plum trees. And, and I, so I did a couple of tree guilds and then on the Mastodon garden, I'm putting along the fence row on the um, north side, I'm putting some apple trees, but we're, we're doing some pear trees that we're not really going to prune. And we're just going to kind of let them do their thing. Wildlife can have some, we might put some, we might even fence them in some time and put some pigs or something under them. We'll pick what we can yeah. pick and whatever falls, falls. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's cool. You guys have a lot. I'd love to see your property. It's looking real. It sounds so cool. Um, Stop by sometime if you ever yeah, make it. Uh, I might have to drive down there. Southern I, Michigan. Yeah, because you guys, I mean, you might be one of the closest people that I know of that listen. So that's kind of cool to have you. Um, Jordy is as is closer, I think, but you guys are both pretty close. But um, so you also have the mushrooms. What kind of mushrooms do you grow? Do you do just the logs or do you do in wood chips? So we, we've been doing the logs. Um, those are the only ones that are really producing right now. Uh, shiitake and then golden oyster. Nice. And then we've inoculated. I, and I really love the shiitake. Those are, those are my favorite. And they're pretty stable. Like with the oysters, if you don't get them very quickly, they can get bad fast. Like the shiitake can, they can make it a minute in the fridge. Um, and then we've done lion's mane um chicken of the woods and and part of it is i like to i hunt a lot and i like to forage so some of these mushrooms i i find um when when i'm foraging so i wanted to have some like a more reliable source though yeah Um, mushrooms they're so tasty yeah you you got lion's mane that's cool yep so that's just getting started and then we did uh we did one on wood chips and i can't remember it but it's essentially like a like a portabella. Um, is it wine, wine cap. Uh, wine cap is one of them, and there was another one. Yeah, I've kind of gone. Uh, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time, but in the last few years, you know, and maybe it's <laughs> the drive of having having children. Um, I've kind of pushed it into another gear with planting a bunch more trees and getting more mushrooms and stuff going on. Um, I, I it's. Do you have now? say again how many fruit trees do you have now oh boy it sounds like a lot yeah oh i don't know um producing or like production size probably a dozen or so and then of younger ones that are kind of on their way probably three dozen more wow yeah that's cool my plans were for mine were to be feeding animals too. So, um, yeah, I like that whole pair idea with the, with the pigs and stuff. Yeah. And then mulberries, um, we've got a couple of mulberry trees, but I've, I actually, uh, planted one with my son this spring and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't even notice that there was a wild one growing like six feet away. Oh, and so we went and showed my mother-in-law, hey, we plant, just so you know, we planted a mulberry tree here and we're showing where we plant some stuff. And she goes, well, did you plant this one? I'm like, no. And it's huge. And I didn't even notice it right there. It was like totally, it was on a fence line, of course. So a bird planted it. Um, but that one's been, that one's been very productive for, I, I haven't really been, I, I would, I haven't been really like pilarding it or anything. I've just been like kind of pruning as I go and taking it in to feed to the rabbits. Okay. Um, does yours and get produced fruit? That one does not yet. Uh, we have a couple others that do. Yeah. That's cool. And and I love mulberries. So we, we make wine too. And okay. I'll, I'll do like, you know, a lot of fruit wines and I'll, I'll do some apple mulberry or, or we'll make mead and I'll do um, like a mulberry mead. And I know not everyone loves mulberries because they're, you know, I mean, I think they're really good, but not everyone's a big fan, but they're really good in fruit wines and they add a lot of color. 
We have a mulberry tree on our lot line here in town and it produces lots and lots and lots of berries and I love them. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty good. We have tons and tons of blackberries and I was considering trying blackberry mead. Oh yes. We're going to have we're going to have so many blackberries. It is insane. Probably this week they'll probably start. Well last weekend I picked like a handful of them, but this weekend they're really going to start and there's going to be I will never be able to pick them all. The bears will be eating them too. So that's the wild like, what ones do you do with all these. Yeah. They're wild. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, my, they're my hands wild. are all scratched up. Cause I've been out, uh, yeah. our, our wild blackberries are ready and they're over my head and they're just, yeah, I'm just There's waiting so through many of them. And I get, I've got scratches all over my legs from them, but yeah, I'm going to pick them. And I was like, what do I do with all these? And I was like, maybe I should try my hand at meat. I hear it's not too hard. Oh no, it's not hard at all. Huh, no, it's well, not hard at all. And up for some questions. I, I do it that easy. So I, I have people who are way more experienced than me at making meads and stuff, but I do it pretty, the easy way with like a champagne yeast and you can put fruit in early or you can put it in late. If you put it in late, it'll be a little bit sweeter. Um, I mean, there's different ways to do it, but it's all, I, I like it. I think it's, you know, people say it's an acquired taste um because it's often not all that sweet but i think it's it's fantastic we have a chill that's kind of like a go-to when we have guests over like a dinner dinner drink okay that's cool yeah sounds like you guys do just about everything there is it um yeah i don't know there's there's probably things we don't but we like to do kind of a variety of things and we don't uh we don't watch tv i mean we we own a tv but we don't watch anything and you know, we'll watch uh, YouTube on our phones while we're doing the dishes is about the extent of it. Yeah. Um, so like no programming or anything. And if you don't do that kind of stuff uh, and and you don't really have any hobbies outside of like homesteading and hunting and fishing, you have a lot of time to get some stuff done. You know, it yeah. it does add up if if you can just kind of keep busy and keep working at it. Yeah. An hour here, an hour there. So are you guys both working full time then? And yes. Okay. Yep. Off the homestead. Yep. Okay. Wow. That's you guys are busy, busy then. Yeah. It's uh, we, we both have most of our summers off though. Oh, okay. Now how does, yep. how do you, and you work for a hospital, so you still get the summer. Not, not anymore. Nope. Oh, um, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. We work. um, she's a teacher and I work, uh, like in the similar, a similar field. Okay, so that's definitely is nice, especially for homesteaders. Yes, it is. Yeah. My father-in-law, who my husband obviously grew up homesteading, but it was a different kind of homesteading. They used chemicals and stuff like that because his parents grew up in the Depression or just after the Depression. So that was the way to go because yep. it was easier. But anyways, that's his dad was a principal, so he had the summers off and they homesteaded all summer long. They did tons and tons of gardens and fruit and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. That works out really well. Um, I miss, uh, w- when I worked at the hospital, I could take like most of October off to go hunting. Oh, um, yeah. so I don't get to do that anymore, but yeah. Um, the, the trade-off is worth it. Cause it's, it's wonderful to be, I mean, be home with my family in the summer, but we can get a lot yeah. done. And my my gardens have never been more fruitful than having time to be out there every day and well especially in michigan this early early summer late spring it was so gosh darn dry that you know we were watering every day and if i weren't here to water it would have been it would have been rough it's definitely we've had weird two years i don't know if you had the drought last year too but we've had two years in a row where we went weeks and weeks without rain and and then this heat, which we're not used to um, this far north. I mean, we get some heat, but this dry and heat. I mean, rain in Michigan, rain just usually falls from the sky. So the last yeah. couple of years have been pretty rough for us. Yeah. Yeah, same here. And it's been, um, it, well, it was a big difference growing up, you know, knowing how to garden in like Osceola, Wexford County, like northern, lower Michigan. Yeah. It is so much different just a couple hours south of there that 
you know, the, the spring is earlier and the fall is later. Like it is a big bump in my growing season. That's what I was going to ask you. When is your, when is your, um, when do you usually plant? And then it was, when is your usually first frost date? Um, I think, well, I think we have, it's basically 50, 50 of frost, um, on about May 15th, you know, that's kind of the, with the tipping point, but we almost never have frost at that point. And in my experience here, um, a couple of years ago, we had one really good one. And then this year we had a day that was close, but I usually plant by about by May 15th. If the soil temperature is warm enough, that may seems to make a difference. And our, the way our property is situated, that helps too, because most of our gardens or the primary garden, which is the one near the house that I'll plant earlier is on higher ground. So if it does get cold, the cold kind of travels down toward the ponds. And so we we're less likely to get frost here. Um, and then we rarely have frost until really until October. I, I mean, we, we can get it in September and plenty of times, but I I would say usually we don't. That's a, that would, that right there is basically six to eight weeks more than what I have. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember plenty of June frost, early June yep. frost, first week of June. Yeah. Growing up, plenty of them. Yeah. And then and we're further yeah, north and, than that. Even yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's fast um, and furious here. I love it here and I love the four seasons, but yeah, the growing season is certainly very short. Yeah, that was so in the last when I really expanded our gardens, probably in the last like six years or so. Um we've been growing a preposterous amount of tomatoes and that was one of the biggest like ego boosts of my life when my grandparents asked if we had extra tomatoes so they could can some extra tomatoes and they would come down like you know middle of september early september and get you know bushels of tomatoes and take them back home and can them you know having the people who taught me how to garden ask asked me for my surplus. I mean, I, I, you know, I offered it to them for years and they didn't really, you know, they needed some here and there, wanted some here and there, but then they made a big push because they'd gotten frost early and, oh, oh that felt, that felt pretty good to be able to help them out. That is, and then that's really cool. You know, that's yeah. Really cool. Well, I know that, that both of us were busy all day long, so I don't want to keep you much longer. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add or talk about? Oh, boy, I, well, I guess, um, the only thing I'd really like to add, I, I, well, I could talk for hours. I, oh, I talk yeah, to myself a lot. So when there's someone hours, else, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just hope that people, when they're into homesteading, um, whether they're new or they've been at it for a while, really appreciate like the nuance and, and how much of a blessing it is just to have, have your hands and your mind and your heart occupied with something you truly enjoy. Because there are days when it feels like all you're doing is moving manure from one pile to another. And but even then, like there's life in the soil in that part of the soil. And just um, and it's one thing I try to really uh, express to my kids is, is to appreciate the nuance of what you're doing and just a- appreciate the moment. You know, it's it's just such a wonderful experience and a wonderful gift that. There are people who never get to have their hands in the soil. Yeah. And and I hope everyone, you know, appreciates how how blessed we are to have work to do. That I couldn't say it better myself. And with that, I think we're gonna end. And I'm thankful that you came on. And I do think that we could have a really long conversation. And maybe one day I'll be able to come down there and we can have a person to person conversation and like around a campfire or something. That would be amazing. But thank Let you. me know and I'll chill the mead. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jonah, for coming on. And with that, I will end with my normal grow where you're planted. Looking around, I find the sea. I think I need a change. The rat race, I want to flee. My world, I'll rearrange. I'm getting back to the roots of how it's meant to be Growing gardens, picking fruit, racing livestock, living free It's a modern home
understand why I wanna live this way They've never eaten from their land like we do here every day Snapping beans like grandma did sitting on her front porch Hunting and fishing like a kid once you've done all of your chores It's a Today 